Good evening and welcome candidates. You who are in the audience and those viewing at home. As a courtesy to all present, please silence your cell phones. This is the candidate forum for the Johnson County Board of Supervisors. There are five candidates for two open seats. I am Duhatuil, member of the League of Women Voters of Johnson County, and I will be the moderator for this evening's forum. The forum is being live streamed on the League's Facebook page. It is also being filmed for rebroadcast on Iowa City Channel 4. Please check their websites for scheduling. The video will also be shared on the LWVJC website. Additional information about candidates may be found on the League's Vote 411 website, which will be published on Monday after 5 p.m. October 17th. And thank you for all the candidates that participate with that educational website. The League of Women Voters is a volunteer nonpartisan organization that neither supports nor opposes any party or candidate, which is why we have a policy that campaign literature is welcome outside of this room following the forum and no buttons, signs, or literature can be worn or distributed inside this room. The League does take positions after considerable study of issues and acts to influence decision makers on those issues. We work to not only register voters, but also to provide them with information on issues to assist their participation in government. Membership is open to anyone 16 years of age or older. Join us. We can use your time, your talent, and your financial resources. League members advocate and inform voters. Democracy works best when the more people are involved. Find us at www.lwvjc.org. The views expressed in this forum are those of the candidates. All viable candidates have been invited to participate, every single one. After candidates have been introduced, they will each have two minutes for opening remarks. We will then present questions to them, starting with one from the league, followed by one submitted on cards by you in the audience. League members are distributing cards and pencils for you to write questions on. You may submit as many written questions for the candidates as you wish. Hold up the cards and a league member will collect them throughout the forum and bring them to, for me to read. Questions that fall in the same general category may be considered. If time does not allow for all questions to be addressed, you may contact the candidates directly after the forum or at another time. Each candidate will have one minute to respond to each question. Due to the time frame, there'll be, there'll, be, there'll be no time for rebuttals. Near the end of the scheduled time for this event, each candidate will have two minutes for closing remarks. Speaking order will be rotated throughout the evening. B. Hicks, a league member, is our timekeeper tonight. Um, and she is using cards to alert candidates when the time is up and when time is up. So if you guys can see that, the one minute. We have five candidates running for two seats on the ballot for a four-year term. Jamie Bradshaw, Republican candidate. V. Fixmer or O'Rise, Democratic candidate. John Green, Democratic candidate. Eric Hike and I don't believe he's affiliated. Phil Hemingway, Republican candidate. Audience members, please write your questions on the cards provided and pass them to a league member who will advance them to the moderator. Any question will be asked to all candidates. Do not address questions for one single candidate. Let's get started with opening statements. Please speak directly into the microphone so that you can be heard here and over the television broadcast. Two candidates, let's begin with your two minute opening statements, starting with Jamie. Perfect. Can you guys hear me okay? Awesome. My name is Jamie Bradshaw and I am running as one of the Republican candidates for the Johnson County Board of Supervisors position. A little bit about me, I am a mom of four wonderful crazy children. I'm a wife to my husband of 10 years, 10 year veteran, and I'm also a breast cancer survivor. Um, 
I am a person who's been all over the world, so I've been affiliated with multiple different uh, cultures, backgrounds. So I have a very good, strong background in diversity and working with people who don't exactly understand and believe everything that I do. So that's something that the military taught me and trained me. Um, I also worked as an aircraft mechanic and a position called mission planning. So what I had to do was figure out how to make the resources that we had work for an entire year and make it, two minutes, right? Yeah, okay. Make it work with supporting the people on the ground and also making sure that our mission was met. So I have that background in understanding how to overcome obstacles that most people have not experienced before. Um, I'm, I'm one of those people that just likes to serve my country, my community, and make it the best place possible. So that's why I want to be a Johnson County supervisor, because I really think that we need someone who has a rural background and has that experience in the position. So thank you. Thank you very much. <clears throat> B, your opening statement. Yes. Uh, Thank you. I want to say thank you to the uh, League of Women Voters for hosting this event. I'm a proud member, and I think that the, these types of events are exactly what we need um, in our democracy, so you can hear from the candidates and ask your questions. So thank you for being here. Thank the audience, uh, my wife for being here, and my uh, two young ones at home. My name is V. Fixmer O'Rise, and my pronouns are they, them. And I'm proud to be the Democratic nominee for the Board of Supervisors. I was raised in a military family. My dad was a Midwest boy who found his way into the Navy, and my mom is an immigrant from the Philippines. So we moved around a lot. I grew up on military bases, and um, I saw at an early age really what public service and family sacrifice looks like. Ten years ago, my wife and I moved to Iowa City uh, for a faculty position for her, and so that I could actually complete a master's degree in urban and regional planning with a focus on land use. And then seven years ago, we started a family. And in Iowa, not only was that an act of deep love, but also joyful resistance. I'm also a small business owner. I started a, a firm, a planning firm here in Johnson County focused on climate change and social and racial justice. I've worked all over the state, and I'm a trained facilitator and convener. I've worked with farmers, I've worked with small towns, and I've worked with urban met, uh, metropolitans. And right here in Johnson County, I've actually been the, his, the Johnson County Historic Poor Farm Manager for about five years. So I've been a de facto de department head, meaning that I, I know how to submit budgets and, and agendas and can get started to work right away. But that's not all. If elected, I would be the first trans, queer, biracial candidate at this level of office. And representation matters. I know what it's like to have lawmakers create policies and laws aimed at restricting my freedoms, whether that's who I love or what bathrooms I can use or which sports certain community members in my community can play. So I will work every day to make Johnson County a more inclusive and resilient place to live for all. I have the experience, the passion, and the expertise and knowledge to do that. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Green, your opening statement. Thank you. Uh, good evening. My name is John Green. I use he, him pronouns, and I am currently one of your five Johnson County supervisors tonight. I'm here asking for your support as I seek re-election to a full term in office. Johnson County leads Iowa, but instead of congratulating ourselves over much, I think our successes inform the work that remains to be done. In just the past few months, we've successfully gotten federal stabilization payments out to local residents who missed out on earlier opportunities that so many of us enjoyed. And if I'm reelected, I promise you that's just a down payment on the continuing investments that we're going to make right here in Johnson County. Let's talk briefly about the job. With a headcount of about 600, Johnson County is one of the 20 largest employers in the county. Our annual budget is about $130 million. We're also currently working to expend almost $30 million in funds from the American Rescue Plan Act. We carry about $10 million in public debt, which represents roughly 1% of our statutory bonding authority. Uh, I'm one year into a 30-year mortgage, and I'd love to have numbers like that. 1% debt utilization, a 1 to 13 debt to income ratio. These are great numbers. This, is evidence of good governance. 
the Board of Supervisors is responsible for 14 county departments. We also have budget responsibilities over five additional departments who are headed by other county elected officials. We are both the legislative and executive branch of county government here. We pass ordinances like the minimum wage ordinance that got the uh, Republicans in Des Moines so sideways. We're also responsible for ensuring that when you go out to eat, your food is safe, that your neighbor's septic is kept up to snuff. I've got a lot of stuff I want to get done in four years, which I look forward to talking with you tonight, but I wanted to spend my opening two minutes giving a forceful account, not only for my reelection, but for the good work that Democrats have been doing in Johnson County for decades. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Green. Mr. Hike is not here, um, so we will continue with Mr. Hemingway, your opening statement. Thank you very much. I want to thank the, thank the board, uh, and I also want to thank Sarah Behrens for pointing out that my name was spelled incorrectly. Um, anyone who travels out in the rural Johnson County will find hundreds of examples of the correct spelling, so I don't think there's a problem with that. I appreciate that. Um, uh, I'm a lifelong resident, having been born here in Johnson County in 1959. I grew up on a farm between Morris and Oasis. I farmed out of high school with my father and my brother. Um, I got a great opportunity to work in uh, Central America managing Roy Carver's cattle ranch at 36 square miles uh, and over 6,000 head of livestock. Um, that's where I met my lovely wife, Anita. And uh, I also uh, worked overseas in the former Soviet Union in Africa. Uh, my daughter, Monica, was born in between two jobs, which I was working on in Angola. Uh, after the changes I saw in my daughter after I got back uh, from my second uh, tour, um, I put my suitcase away so I could provide care for her and watch her grow up instead of watching her grow up in photos. Um, I've had a business in Iowa City since 97. Uh, I was elected to the Iowa City School Board in uh, 2015. I served a four-year term. Um, many of the accomplishments I have there we can go over. Uh, if Johnson County leads the county and the state in anything, it's supervisor raises in the last six years. The supervisors have raised their salary over $20,000. That works out to be 29.9% during that period of time. Uh, it's unsustainable. They've also had huge increases in their staff and in the, in the budget just for the supervisors themselves. And uh, as a school board member, I handled a budget larger than the counties, handled more staff, uh, presided over the largest state bond issue of $193 million plus, a budget larger, more personnel, and I did that for free. Well, we got a $20 plaque at the end of service, but I voted against that because it was a, not a uh, viable educational expense. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we're gonna go ahead and begin with questions. Are you guys ready? Okay. The first question is from the League of Women Voters. And remember, you have one minute to answer the question. And we're going to start with a different rotation each time. All right, so the first question is, what efforts, projects, or policies would you recommend for the Board of Supervisors to address the need for affordable housing in the county, along with accessible, affordable transit for county residents? And we'll start off with V. Thank you. And um, affordable housing is uh, really a core tenet of why I'm running. So I am actually the vice president of the Johnson County Affordable Housing Coalition. And it's an incredible uh, organization where we get to actually work with uh, folks that are doing that uh, on the ground, but then also coming up with those solutions and working with decision makers. So affordable housing, as we know, um, is pretty hard to find in Johnson County. And uh, right now we're in a crisis with our manufactured housing. And so what I really think that we need to be looking at is where can we find land, potentially in the fringe areas between the cities and the counties, where there's transportation options and sewage and water, and start carving out some smaller um, lots so that people can own and uh, rent as they, as they can afford. So that is, that is one option that I think that the county can take. Thank you. Mr. Green. Thank you. Uh, I've seen this up close and personal myself. You know, I have experience having served as the mayor of Lone Tree down in the southeastern portion of the county. So I've seen it there uh, in about 15 months on the board. I've seen up close and personal how acute the crisis is also in our urban areas. One of the things that as a mayor I'm constrained by 
is that bonding authority that I was talking about. Johnson County is using 1% of our debt authority. I think we have an opportunity to work in partnership with our municipal friends here in the county where perhaps we provide some financing in order to look at some of these new initiatives that V just mentioned. Uh, Public-private partnerships, we've got lots of good nonprofit folks, but the county may have an important role to play in the finance piece. Thank you. Mr. Hemingway. Yeah, uh, we're facing a lot of challenges. First off, when you, when you talk about, okay, you want to do affordable housing, we're the number one uh, highest land value in the state. Uh, we have uh, many regulations that will prohibit uh, low-cost housing. Um, there's a multitude of issues. Uh, the county, in order to uh, do this correctly, is going to have to partner with local communities um, there is also opportunities with uh, Homes for Iowans, which is a uh, prison-built homes. There's a couple of them going in that I was told by a contractor here in Iowa City uh, that are inexpensive. But the challenges we face is that the lot's going to be expensive. The hookups to sewers are going to be expensive. It's in a rural area. It might have to require a well. Uh, there's, there's a multitude of challenges facing. Number one is the fact the value of our land. Thank you, Thank you very much. Now we'll go on to the second Did question. We miss Jane. Oh my God, Miss Thank Bradshaw. you. That's I'm so fine. Sorry, That's Ms. fine. <laughs> um, so I have a different approach to this, uh, to the affordable housing crisis. What I would say is, so Johnson County is a very historical place, and we have a lot of buildings here that are already run down, but they still have a lot of value to add to the community. I think what we need to do is partner with local businesses, including construction companies, work on giving tax breaks to them, have them train individuals to repair these homes, and work with these people to go ahead and make it so these homes are repaired, where we're preserving the history of our community, we're working with different companies, and we're actually giving people a pathway to home ownership plus a new skill, and not just putting them in the same standard, rundown, government-funded public housing. Thank you. All right, so now we will go into the second question, and I'm actually going to do one from the audience. So a lot of folks do not have a clear understanding of the role of the Board of Supervisors. How do you describe its purpose, and where do you fit into that work? And we'll start off with Mr. Green. Thank you. So as I mentioned, we've got 14 county departments that are wholly underneath the authority and jurisdiction of the Board of Supervisors. We also have budget authority over the five other departments that are run by our other Johnson County elected officials. Uh, $130 million annual budget, 600 employees, that's a big part of it. But I also mentioned both our legislative authority in terms of passing ordinances, land use, talking about, I know some folks are saying, you know, that we have too many restrictions here, but I think that the restrictions and the systems that we have in place are part of the reason that our property values are so high here in Johnson County. Uh, we also have executive duties to fulfill, whether it's public health, whether it is overseeing the ambulance. Uh, I couldn't give a cogent answer about one of our 19 departments in one minute, but that's an overview. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Hemingway. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm for the county supervisors concentrating on county issues and not trying to run the state from the Johnson County Board of Supervisors. Uh, I disagree with the stance of a muscular Johnson County uh, supervisor group. Uh, roads and bridges, essential services, and making sure they're done efficiently and economically. Uh, I'm a proven watchdog, having uh, served on the Iowa City Community School District um, and when I, you know, when, when you hear the numbers and everything, uh, did four times the number of personnel, uh, way more uh, budgetarying, looked over the state's largest uh, bond issue at the time, and uh, did it for nothing. And the uh, hyperinflation that the supervisors have done to ingratiate themselves uh, is obscene and needs to stop, and we need to elect people who are willing to work and be civil servants. Thank you. Ms. Bradshaw. Thank you. My personal opinion is that as a supervisor, you're here to be a leader, 
and a representative for your people. So what you're supposed to be doing here is actually putting the people first and putting the community first. So I agree with Phil. Let's take care of our county issues. Let's make sure our roads are taken care of. Let's make sure that our, our people in the county are taken care of. So let's focus on that and not focus so much on the state issues. State issues are not something that the supervisor can handle and take on. So let's go ahead and take care of what we can handle and make that change here, including helping our farmers. So. Thank you. V. Yeah, thank you. You know, uh, we are in an incredible county. We have robust parks and roads that are taken care of. We have clean water in our homes. Um, we, we, we are very rich in a lot of the nonprofit um, organizations that are here to help our human services. And the county has uh, charge over our health and human services, our ambulatory, our um, all of these services that help make our county uh, a great place to live, and people want to live here. And so I think that our role is to make sure that everybody has what they need to thrive. And um, that is everything that I just mentioned. And I have the skills to make sure that we continue planning for that future. We do have a five-year roads master plan. We do have plans in place that will get us to the, the, the best possible Johnson County for all. And that also includes policies that affect the state level. We also know that local law is what is gonna impact the state law. We need to be leaders in that area. Thank you. All right, we're gonna go on to the third question. <clears throat> we have seen increasing accounts of extreme weather and weather disasters. What actions do you believe the Board of Supervisors should take to toward local efforts in response to climate change. And we will start off with Mr. Hemingway. Yeah, well, uh, I had uh, the experience of my business in Coralville being uh, underwater in uh, 2008. So I understand uh, the issues with extreme weather. Um, there's, there, are, there are things that can be done at the county level, uh, but some of these things are, are uh, way larger uh, than that. Um, I know there was uh, an attempt to, uh, well, they're, they're, the uh, Iowa Utilities Board is going to uh, force a pipeline through, our uh, port, through the upper portion of our community. Um, it's a loser all the way around. Uh, so um, it's, uh, it's some of these things are, are difficult to challenge, but uh, definitely uh, bridges and roads need to be uh, constructed in a way that uh, uh, they will uh, reflect the changing issues. Thank you. <clears throat> Ms. Bradshaw. Thank you. I think one, one big way that we can go ahead and work on the climate change issue that's going on is make sure that our grid is up to standards to go ahead and support things such as the bus system that we have right now in Iowa City. And not only keep that in Iowa City, let's branch it out to the other communities outside of Iowa City. Let's take it to places like Lone Tree, Oxford, things of that nature that don't have a public uh, system so that way we can actually reduce our carbon footprint. If we're gonna do things like that to affect climate change, let's actually make it so that everyone in Johnson County has that ability to be part of that and not just Iowa City. Thank you. V? Yeah, so I mentioned earlier that I own a planning firm focused on climate change impacts and social and racial justice. And I like to look 50 to 100 years ahead of um, into the future and say, what are, what are we looking at having to deal with compound disasters such as flooding, derecho, COVID, and uh, actually won an, a, a statewide award for the guidebook that we put together for planners when these things happen. How do you reach people that are most vulnerable? And so we need to be planning with and for people that are most vulnerable, and whether that's transportation or clean water or access to internet and, and, and broadband. Um, in order to do that, we have to convene those people in the emergency management, our towns and cities, and make sure that we are putting our infrastructure in place and we are planning for a future where compound disasters will continue to happen. We need to be ready and I have that experience. Thank you. Mr. Green. Thank you. Yeah, the emergency's here right now. Uh, we may not feel it in Johnson County every season, every year, uh, but we did have the derecho two years ago. We are flirting on the edge of drought right now. Uh, my partner Eleanor and I, are on a farm right on the Iowa River, and right now you could basically skip across it. What the county can do is 
twofold. We can lead by example, and if you go to just about any county facility, whether it's one of our buildings here in town or our county conservation properties, you're going to see that we've got solar panels all over the place. We also have the legislative piece, right? If you look at our zoning, if you look at our ordinances, we have been working and paying keen attention to Lynn County and learning from one another about how we can have robust protections in place to encourage clean energy production right here in Johnson County, but also to ensure that it's done responsibly. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so we're gonna go on to the fourth question and it's gonna be from the audience. The Board of Supervisors approved 1,400 payments to county residents excluded from previous federal programs. Was this the correct action? Are there more such actions the board should take with the remaining ARPA money? And we'll start off with Mr. Hemingway. Uh, I would say no. Um, it's an opportunity to work to develop infrastructure and to uh, increase our, uh, improve our facilities uh, that way. Um, there's other ways we can do to help people that way, uh, but uh, uh, the, the lottery for uh, uh, residents uh, that way, I didn't think that that was uh, the best way to use it personally. Uh, I would have liked to have seen something that we would have gotten more long-term benefit from the entire community. And uh, having been uh, someone who has actually worked in a foreign country and having to follow uh, immigration laws and things like that, uh, they're not there as a good idea. They're there for a reason. And I think it's important that uh, if we're going to have laws, that we follow the rule of law. Thank you. Ms. Bradshaw? Thank you. So I was one of the people that I attended the Excluded Workers Forum um, back in June, I believe it was. And I was a big proponent to push for the fact that we had this money set aside and let's not do a lottery. Let's reduce it down to $1,200 and pay everybody because this money was already set there. Let's go ahead and take care of everybody because even though they aren't necessarily uh, registered citizens, they are citizens and people that are part of our community. And we need to take care of everybody in our community. They have sons, they have daughters, they have wives that are all here. They're already here, the money's already set aside. We need to take care of our people and we need to make sure that our community has that taken care of because that is a long-term plan. When you take care of the community, you get better results and you get a better place to live for everybody. Thank you. V? Yes, you know, I think that uh, when this all occurred, let's remember the context, you know, uh, COVID was rampant, uh, people were getting evicted from their homes, there was, um, you know, lack of resources in terms of food, and uh, a lot of fear and a lot of loss, a lot of death um, that was going on. I, I just want to contextualize that because you can't ask somebody to wait for policy or infrastructure to come along um, when they can't feed their children. Like, you just can't. So there needs to be short-term and long-term solutions, absolutely. I think that certainly um, giving people those funds is important, and we needed to do that. And I'm proud that we were the only county that did that in the state. Um, now, there are long-term things that we can do. It's, it's, not a one, it's not one or the other. It's not binary. It's a yes and. It's both and. And we need to think beyond just the binary. We need to have solutions that are much more dynamic and long-term thinking. So I do think it was the right thing to do. It was the first time it had happened. So they did what they could. Thank you. Mr. Green. Yeah, thank you. Uh, getting the direct assistance program done is one of the proudest things I've, I've accomplished that we have done together. I want to thank V and I want to thank Jamie. I want to thank everybody who advocated in favor of getting this done. It has made real meaningful impact for 1,400 of our most vulnerable neighbors. And I especially want to thank the city of Iowa City because we didn't have a lottery. We worked together. We found the money to pay every application all 2,238 of them. And Johnson County being Johnson County and understanding the political dynamic between us and Des Moines, I am fairly confident that we're gonna end up in court over this. And you know what? I'm not worried about that one bit. 
we put so much effort into this thing. I am convinced that from the Department of the United States Treasury, who I spoke with on multiple occasions, to the State Auditor of Iowa, that what we are doing, what we have done, is completely legal and just the right damn thing to do. Thank you. <clears throat> All right, we are going to move on to our fifth question. I'm sorry? Oh, okay. Um, we're going to move on to our fifth question, and it's going to be from the audience. And this one is similar to the first one that was asked, but so what can be done for affordable housing in rural, the rural area in unincorporated Iowa? So it's a little bit more specific. And we'll start off with Ms. Bradshaw. Perfect. So I live in Lone Tree out in one of those rural areas. Um, and affordable housing, it, it's not there. I pay quite a bit every month for the place that I live in. And honestly, what we need to do is we really need to look at making those buildings that are out there more accessible to people that are not necessarily familiar with that area. We need to make it so we have more bike paths. We need to make it so we have a public transportation system out there because if you have all of that, that brings businesses out there, that brings development out there, that also brings growth, and that makes it so affordable housing starts to exist. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, yes. Um, I'm on the, the Iowa Area Business Partnership Board, and uh, that's the chamber, essentially. And as a small business owner, I know how important affordable housing is to not only, uh, you know, obviously have people afford a place to live, but also our workforce. And so when we talk about rural Johnson County, we need to make sure that the county is doing what it can to incentivize that development happening in our rural areas. And so we are already funded a position um, that will be working in rural areas from the Iowa City Area um, Development Authority. And so they will be partnering with them to make sure that they can go after the grants and the Main Street Iowas, and so that they can start to improve their, their business structure so that we can start to attract those types of developers and get affordable housing in those areas. So they're very much so linked together. And, and having that economic development happen is really going to revitalize and stabilize our, um, our rural areas. Thank you. Mr. Green. Thank you. Uh, you know, I've been getting an earful about this since I was the mayor of Lone Tree. A lot of folks in town who want to support the school district but don't necessarily want to live in town. But one of the things is with everything that we do in government, we have to achieve a responsible balance. That means protecting our natural resources, not encouraging sprawl in the rural areas. And the fact of the matter is, just to be honest and transparent, if you want to live in rural Johnson County, you are going to have to assume a higher burden because you have to have your own infrastructure. You have to have your well, you have to have your septic system. You're doing that by yourself. You have to have your LP or you know whatever for heating. And you know we talk about land values. I think Johnson County is doing a good job in striking that balance. Uh, but if we can help ease the pressures in the urban areas, that's just going. You know, it's the proverbial tide that lifts all boats. If everybody has additional resources, additional capitalization, it will open up more resources in the rural areas. Thank you, <clears throat> Mr. Hemingway. Yeah, I was at the uh, Ag Committee. Uh, uh, meeting this morning and uh, it's made up of farmers and other uh, interested entities uh, retiring uh, board member uh, Pat Hyden was there and spoke uh, and a realtor uh, commented on a sale of farmland of uh, $20,000 an acre now sometimes I've seen you know we're gonna make these small little two acre plots you if, if you've got 40,000 and it's and you won't get it uh, a plot for what you can buy a hundred thousand uh, by a hundred acres of land uh, I alerted in the first time that question came around the challenges facing and John repeated them so you know uh, yes we're gonna you you have the lot you have the the, the septic you have the water you have all these things and in order to do it you're gonna have to partner and the county cannot be as dictatorial as it has been with many of the villages uh, Wyndham is going through a village plan uh, at this moment, and you've got to recognize that we are blessed to be in this area with agricultural productivity that the world is envious of. Thank you. All right, we are going to go on to our sixth question, 
What concerns regarding law enforcement do you believe the board needs to address and how would you recommend those to be addressed? And we will start off with V. Yeah, thank you. You know, I think that uh, with law enforcement, we need to really focus on building those relationships. We need to understand how we can better support uh, taking care of our residents in Johnson County. Um, you know, in Iowa, we have gun laws that are pretty lax. And what that means is that there's a lot of residents that are armed to the teeth. And I know that that concerns our law enforcement. And um, at the same time, I don't believe that we should be having uh, militarized vehicles uh, that, quite frankly, I think um, are contrary to our democratic society. People should be able to protest their government without fear of uh, an armored vehicle heading towards them. So uh, I think that the, the board needs to have good relationships so that we can respond respectfully and, and quickly and, um, and move towards actually making a change in our, in our community and how we care for one another. Thank you. Mr. Green? Yeah, we don't need tanks in Johnson County. Uh, you know, if folks in Lone Tree start putting IEDs along Wapsie Avenue, maybe we can reconsider it, but it just is a disproportionate response to the climate that we find ourselves in. It's also corrosive to the public trust uh, to be treated like you are an adversary as if you're someone to be scared of rather than as someone to work in partnership with. You know, I, I want law enforcement in Johnson County to be safe, but I also need everybody to understand the relationship that citizens have with its government. And that does not mean adversarial fear. That means mutual respect. It means talking about how can we improve access to mental health services. I'm very glad to see 988 stood up across the country. I think that really could be a conduit for a lot of good further progress. Thank you. Mr. Hemingway? Well, the sheriff's an elected position. If people don't like what he's advocating, vote him out. Uh, but I support law enforcement and first responders. Uh, I had a conversation with uh, the sheriff, and uh, I look at it, you know, also just as a mechanic. When you have the AMRAM, which is much harder to maintain and few people in law enforcement can actually drive, and you have the Bearcat model, which is based on a Ford, F1, a Ford 450 chassis, which you can get parts at the Ford dealership or from Barron's or Napa or O'Reilly's, um, and the sheriff feels that's a necessary thing to keep his staff and community members safe, I will help him get it. And uh, it's, it's not a tank, uh, it's a protective vehicle. It will also protect, you know, if, you, if you're wearing a wristwatch, did you know that that came about because of World War I? Are you, are you supporting the militarization of time? Thank you, Ms. Bradshaw. So I think we need to first stop looking at law enforcement as law enforcement and then citizens. Because law enforcement, they are citizens. They are part of Johnson County. They're our mothers, they're our fathers, they're our brothers, our sisters. They're part of Johnson County. So we need to stop first separ separating them because they're not separate individuals. They're all part of the county. That being said, they need to have proper protective equipment to protect them and the county. They're not here trying to be against us. Do I think we need an armored vehicle? No, not necessarily. But I think we need to have proper body armor. We need to have proper uh, vests that fit these individuals. We need to have proper training. And we need to treat them like what they are, part of our community, not separate people that are out to get us. Thank you. All right, we are going to go to our seventh question. And this is from the audience. What is something that Johnson County does very well and that the board must continue to support? What is something it has not done well and that the board can fix? And we will start off with Mr. Green. Thank you. Uh, I think I'd point as our greatest success to our land use policies. A lot of folks who've been involved in these decisions over the years because this is a years long effort, right? Some of us have got heartburn from this and none of us are happy with each and every result, but it's a good process. 
it is because we have taken years to get this right, to try something, see if it doesn't work exactly right, and then to tweak it, improve it, fix it. Uh, I think we're doing a great job there. There's always room for improvement, but we're going to continue to improve. In terms of what the county could be doing better, uh, transparency. The pandemic has given us a tremendous opportunity. I'm glad that we Zoom all of our meetings, everything's archived. We do AI uh, live transcription that now a human is doing, that's great, but we should be doing simultaneous interpretation to some of the other languages in the county. Uh, we generate so much information that we need to do a better job of making that accessible. Thank you. Mr. Hemingway? Yes, I believe the GuideLink Center is a great example. Uh, it serves the community very well. Um, in talking with uh, uh, the sheriff, um, some of the uh, added uh, benefits uh, uh, from it is, is uh, people have a place that they can walk in. And uh, he uh, said that many people uh, just go in and uh, check themselves in there. Uh, so it's, uh, that's, that's worked out to be a, a great benefit uh, to the community. Uh, as a rural residence and a former farmer and everything that way, I think that uh, uh, rural residents, and, and I've, I've heard this from other people, are looking for an advocate and not an, and, and not an adversary. And uh, it's, this community will uh, benefit greatly from someone who has run a business, worked and lived on a farm, uh, and uh, is a proven watchdog for uh, spending, which uh, I have as well. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Bradshaw? I think Johnson County does a very good job on trying to get people involved. And what I mean by that is we're having events like this where we try and get everybody out to have their opinion, have their thoughts heard. And so that's one thing that we really do good as a whole. We come together as people and we work hard to make sure that everybody is heard. But we also fail at that. What I mean by that is I'm a rancher. I currently raise longhorn cattle. So I spent my weekend doing that, fighting a cow this weekend. And that is something that uh, as a rancher and as a farmer, you're not represented in Johnson County. There are far too many restrictions and it makes it incredibly hard to do what farmers wanna do, which is farm. Um, so I think that's something that we need to work on. We need to make sure that these people who are farmers who have been doing it for generations longer than I've been alive, let's let them do what they're good at. Let's let them farm. So if we're gonna be an inclusive county, an inclusive community, let's actually be inclusive. Thank you. V? Yeah, I think that the county, I've been working you know, with uh, residents who are particularly vulnerable, um, whether that's food insecurity or housing insecurity for, for many years. And I think that our county is really incredible at, the, at supporting our local nonprofits that do you know, food pantries and um, you know, shelter, affordable housing. Um, and so I think we do that very well. We support those organizations and we help people every day. Um, I think that in terms of what we could be doing better, um, inclusivity is is an interesting thing, right? Who's being included? Who are we focusing our efforts? I've worked with a lot of underrepresented business owners in this county, people that are uh, Latino, uh, black, African-American, all these, and they say that it is difficult to walk into a county building and apply for a mobile food uh, license because of the way they look, the way they talk. Um, some people even talk about just bringing a white friend so that they will be treated better. And so when we talk about inclusivity, we need to be talking about for all. And I just wanna say that, you know, there's. 4,800 people living in farms here in Johnson County, and we have about 15,000 African Americans, 12,000 Asian Americans, and uh, 12,000 Latino people. And so when we talk about inclusive, we do need to be talking about for all. Thank you. And now on to our eighth question. What methods would you use to ensure effective and sufficient communication with your constitutes? And we'll start off with Mr. Hemingway. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, with the school board, um, I uh, held uh, community meetings every Friday from noon to one. Now, many times they didn't break up until four o'clock. And I did that every Friday at uh, my business. Um, I made myself available to any community member that couldn't make it in for that. And uh, during my service with the Iowa City School Board, I was sought out by uh, parents and staff uh, on, uh, on issues uh, concerning that. 
Uh, I think it's also important that this last Sunday, Systems Unlimited had a uh, voter information event at the Systems on Scott Boulevard, and I was the only uh, candidate for any office in any party that showed up. Travis Wiper was there. And uh, when you talk about inclusivity and representing all of the community, you have to also talk about those that are most vulnerable or, or have faced some of the biggest challenges. Thank you. Ms. Bradshaw? So this is an issue that I noticed uh, early on, is the fact that our supervisors are incredibly hard to get in contact with, and uh, the meeting times are also times when a lot of people can't attend them. Not only that, but mm, the meetings are held only in Iowa City. I think what we need to do is we need to start moving those meetings at least once a month to a different town in Johnson County. Let's make it so that we're accessible to the people and not making the people have to come to us. Let's go to them. Let's make it so that we have emails. Let's make it so that we have texting, phone calls. I mean, I want you as a supervisor to be more accessible than the doctor's office. I want you to be able to pick up that phone and call the supervisor, tell him a concern. I want you to be able to go to a meeting and not have to worry if you're gonna have to carpool. You should be able to go down to your local city hall and be able to attend that meeting. Let's make it so the supervisors put in the effort to come to the people and the people don't have to put in the effort to go to them. Thank you. V? Yeah, I would have a little bit different approach with that. I think that moving um, the county board of supervisors to different areas in the county used to happen and I think it's actually quite expensive because you have to take all of the staff and all of the equipment and um, so it's not exactly effective as you would think, but I do think that as, as or I, I, I do commit as a supervisor to go to every community um, and every Friday have you know, a, an opportunity to, to sit down with constituents and, and people will know I will be here, you know, every week, it'll be a different Friday in a different community at a different place. Um, you have to get out into the community. I do agree with that. We can't just sit behind and massage our keyboards. Um, but know that there's a lot going on. There's a lot of meetings and um, commissions that you have to be on, um, that you're not just beholden to working within the county, but there's also regional efforts. Um, so I know that there's a lot that goes into being a supervisor, but we, we do need to be accessible. Um, and I do think that we need to be going out into the community uh, regularly to, to listen to our constituents as much as possible. Thank you. Mr. Green? Yeah. Uh, everything has a cost, right? Like to V's point, for us to take the show on the road and go to Lone Tree, th that's, that's great. You know, that has happened before. The Board of Supervisors, when I was mayor, we had a joint meeting in Lone Tree. But the cost there is Lone Tree doesn't have the technical expertise or the staff capability to do Zoom, to have transcriptions generated in real time. Uh, and I understand that this is a trade-off. It's something that we're still working on, we're still trying to do better at. In terms of individual supervisor accessibility, my phone number's on every piece of literature that goes out. It's on my website. Uh, I'm not a hard person to get a hold of. I get email from folks, text messages. Uh, but, you know, there's always room for improvement there. I acknowledge that. I have raised the issue of looking at when we schedule our meetings. Right now, with the current board constitution, there isn't an appetite to look at it. Thank you. All right, now to our ninth question. What are your recommendations related to compensation for county supervisors? And we will start off with Mr. Hemingway. Well, I'm the uh, only candidate in the last five election cycles that said he wouldn't receive any more than uh, what he pledged in uh, 2018, and I stand by that today. Uh, talking with supervisors and counties surrounding us, uh, it's, it's ridiculous. I'm a working man. I've worked with my hands uh, in agriculture, the trades my whole life. I know the value of a dollar. Um, I uh, still think, you know, 71.2 uh, is a lot of money, uh, but uh, I will earn it. And the balance, uh, the excess, uh, which is close to, is over 20, it will be over $20,000. I will donate to Ag Education and FFA in Johnson County and other chapters, and I hope it will serve as an example for others to follow and uh, to get things under control 
And uh, I, can't I can't say enough that as a uh, unpaid volunteer for the school, I, I oversaw much more spending and much more personnel and did it for free. Thank you. Ms. Bradshaw. I have to definitely agree with Phil on the fact that it's ridiculous how much our supervisors make. Um, the median income in Johnson County is $60,000. There's no reason that a representative for that county needs to make more than what the median income is. I think we need to stop spending so much money on our supervisors. And as such, I have, uh, I wasn't around in 2018, but I have made the pledge that I will always vote no on any kind of pay raises for Johnson County supervisors. We don't need to pay them more. You're here to represent the people. And as a representative, it should be an honor to serve the people. And you're here to put that towards the community. So let's put the service back into public service and stop making it just a job. Thank you, V. Yeah, I think it's always good to, you know, look at previous examples. So if we just look to our neighbors in Lynn County, you know, they faced this issue and then they went down to three supervisors and are now going back to looking at five because they can't handle the amount of work because it is a lot of work. Let's let's make no mistake. It is a lot of work. Um, but I do think that re-looking re at how much um, supervisors make, look, I'm not here to get a paycheck. I do this because I care about my community and I want to get to know more of my community. I want want to know how we can all thrive in a better way. And um, I, I just can't imagine that there would be a, a, a world in which, you know, as a supervisor, I would be like, yeah, I need to be making six figures. That, that is not something that I would shy away from. I think we definitely need to look at, um, at that raise issue, and um, I'm not opposed to it. But I think that it's ludicrous to think that anybody up here um, running for office would go through this uh, just to get a paycheck. Um, I, I certainly go through this because I give a damn about my community members. Thank you. Mr. Green? Yeah, thank you, V. Uh, you know, when I served as mayor of Lone Tree, I drew a salary of $1,000 a year, uh, which is why I only did it for one term. I was disappointed in the amount of time that I was able to give to the job. I felt like it deserved full-time work. That's why I proposed that Lone Tree hire a city manager. The council at the time passed on it. I think they may be reconsidering that now. You know, I, I appreciate the charity that folks do in public service, but at the same time, these sorts of questions indicate who we are going to allow to participate. Public service should not be public servitude. It's certainly a live question of where our salary should be. Uh, I took basically a $30,000 pay cut to do this job because I also believe in the work, uh, but it's a consensus decision. Sometimes you have to vote yes for something you're not really happy with because voting no gets you even less. All right, awesome. Thank you guys so much. So we're gonna do one last question, which I believe it's from the audience and it will end this perfectly, I think. So considering the likelihood of a diversity of views among members of the board, what will be your approach if elected to avoid deadlock and to ensure compromise can be reached to accomplish the board's mission? And we'll start off with Ms. Bradshaw. So this is one thing that I've had to face several times over the course of my career, is working with people from all different backgrounds and different cultures, and uh, people that I don't necessarily agree with on everything. But one of the big things is that you have to, A, bring respect to the table. I think we need to respect each other and be willing to listen to each other and understand that compromise has to happen. Um, so what ultimately we're going to need to take into account, not only myself, but any other individuals, is the fact that we're there to represent the people. And so we need to take into account what the people of Johnson County want, not necessarily what our personal opinions are and our personal beliefs, because ultimately we're a representative. And as a representative, we're there to give a voice back to the people and make sure that they're heard and make sure that their wants, their thoughts are what is ultimately uh, considered and decided for Johnson County. Thank you. V? Yeah, I, I firmly believe that having a diverse views is what propels us forward and gives us progress. Uh, we don't all need to agree with one another. I can't imagine where we would be if that were the case. Um, but I, I lead by example. And uh, in this day and age, we have what is called a call-out culture and a cancel culture. And what that means is that when people bring up a diverse idea or a different idea, that that person is then 
canceled, that then you don't talk to that person or you cut them out. Um, and that's toxic. Uh, and we don't need that. Uh, we don't need that on social media. We don't need that in person. And we definitely don't need that in government, in, in our government. So I believe in calling people in to do the work every day. And we may not agree on everything, but there are things that we can agree on. And I'm certain that there are things that we agree on that will take care of our residents in Johnson County. Thank you, Mr. Green. Thank you. In my 15 some months on the board, uh, I, I bet you if you went back and you did an analysis of non-unanimous votes that have been taken that far and away, I am the supervisor on the losing end of most of those votes. And you know what? I'm okay with that. This is the process. Uh, like I just alluded to with the last question, sometimes I do vote in favor of things to help achieve a compromise when that's possible. When it's not, I vote no, but then I move on because we've got a lot of work to do. Uh, I wish I won more votes, but at, the, but at the end of the day, you know, once the meeting adjourns, I respect the people that I work with and I respect the people that I work for and we just need to continue moving forward. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Hemingway? Yeah, I think I'm the only one here who has actual experience working with the other side. Because when you're on a board with, seven, with five other Democrats, okay, there's, different, there's disagreements, but uh, there's a lot of conversation that's not brought up. As a school board member, I was the only registered Republican with seven progressive Democrats. During that time, I was able to get an integrated pest management through, uh, was the uh, lead on a steering committee to get ag education, approved as a course of study, um, was on the uh, playground committee, which was created the first in the nation, uh, integrated play matrix to uh, score uh, playgrounds uh, to one another to choose it. Um, I, I was chairman of the finance committee, as I stated, looked over uh, a, a, a budget and uh, a bond issue that dwarfs anything the county has ever come across. And uh, I did that and I got along with, with, with my fellow board members. And uh, I brought up opinions many times uh, when it came to career and, tech, uh, career and technical education. Many times I was the only voice to bring it up. and. Uh, and to do that. And I also provide, uh, also worked for uh, getting students out of seclusion rooms. Thank you. All right, we are going to begin with our concluding remarks. And if you recall, it's two minutes. Um, so just pay attention to B for the time as you guys uh, give your closing statements. And we are going to start off with Mr. Hemingway. Wow. <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you very much for the for the League of Women Voters. I also want to thank everyone else up here for for that. It was very informative. I was also informative to find out that John Green made one hundred twenty thousand dollars. So I think that's interesting. I'm sure the IRS wants to know the two. Uh, but uh, I, excuse me, uh, um, I am uh, a lifelong resident of Johnson County. Uh, I have been given a, a public trust when I was on the Board of Education. I think it's important uh, to, uh, to look at my record when I was on the Board of Education. Um, and uh, I believe that uh, my stance on uh, many of the issues are, are, are views that have not been represented uh, to uh, the community and to from the board table. And I think that that's, that's seriously lacking. Um, I, uh, I uh, want to uh, uh, thank my wife uh, of uh, 30 years yesterday. We celebrated our anniversary of 30 years, and I have done this uh, five times. It's not easy uh, for families uh, to run for these offices. It wasn't uh, easy when I was on the Board of Education, and I want to thank Anita personally for all the help and support she's given, given me during that. If anyone has any more questions, and they wish to ask me. I'm uh, uh, like John. My name is, or my phone number is on every piece of literature I put out. I'm old-fashioned. I like to talk to people face to face, and I uh, would seek your consideration and vote on or before November 8th. And uh, early voting starts on October 19th. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Green. Thank you. Uh, 
in just barely 15 months, I've helped direct millions of dollars of investment into Johnson County from the American Rescue Plan Act, including the stabilization checks I've mentioned. Uh, but the American Rescue Plan Act is dwarfed by our budget, our annual budget, much of which remains right here in Johnson County because, you know, I understand it's always smart to invest in home, right? But we can't balance everything against the checkbook. Water quality, soil health, you know, these are top issues, whether that means resisting and fighting back against the proposed carbon pipelines, which I do think the county has the ability and the responsibility to do, uh, or looking for creative solutions to skirt the master matrix. We do have an affordable housing crisis that's about to boil over. You'll remember I'd mentioned we're using about 1% of our bond authority right now. Well, if we use 2% more, that's, you know, 20 million or so, that works out to about $133 per person in Johnson County. Not every year, not forever, just one time. Imagine dropping one extra car payment next year that Johnson County could invest into affordable housing to ensure that everybody who lives here can afford to live here. You know, too often Johnson County government gets overlooked, uh, and that's because it works so damn well. It isn't by accident. Uh, if you look at just about any metric, right, Johnson County is the place to be. And why is that? It's because of you folks. It's the folks, the voters of Johnson County, you know how to vote. So that I'd ask, whether you're voting early or on election day, when you are considering your ballot, ask yourself, has Johnson County gone too far or do we have more work left to accomplish together? And thank you. Thank you. V, your closing statement. I want to thank the League of Women Voters and, and everybody who has been here tonight. Um, and I want to thank my colleagues. I know it takes a lot uh, to you know, run for these uh, positions as many times um, and, and, and new. And um, I just want to say, you know, but make no mistake, there are really only two candidates here that believe in science, that climate change is here and it's happening that vaccines save lives, that reproductive justice is sacred and a decision between a doctor and a patient, not legislators, that a livable wage is essential and that workers have rights that we need to protect and that, there, that we need sensible and safe gun laws and please also vote no on the gun amendment that will be on the back of your ballot. And also that Joe Biden won the election. Johnson County is a stronghold uh, for democratic values. And if these are also your values and your beliefs, then the choice is clear. I humbly ask for your vote and also for John Green um, on or before November, November 8th. Um, you know, I'm a business owner, I'm a parent, I'm the child of an immigrant, and I know that we have immense treasures in Johnson County that many of us enjoy. And we have a lot of work to do to make sure that everybody has access to have, to have a thriving life in this county. And that's what I aim to do as your supervisor. So thank you. Um, my, uh, my website is electvfo.com. I welcome any questions. I'll be staying afterward as well. So thank you again uh, for being here and for engaging in this process. Thank you. Ms. Bradshaw, your closing statement. Thank you. I just want to tell everyone, not only in the audience, but also anyone watching or listening at home, uh, thank you for taking the time. I, I know this is time out of your life, out of time away from your families, that you're taking this time to engage with us and listen to what we think to go ahead and make that decision that you believe in for the county. Um, I also want to thank everyone up here, and not only them, but also their families, because this is time that you're taking away from your family to serve someone else. And I think that needs to be considered, especially, uh, you know, John is up here. He says his partner's... Uh, he, uh, in the audience, yes? Yeah. So he's doing time with that. You know, Phil and his wife, uh, 30 years, that's crazy. V and um, your wife is here? And children, I mean, that is amazing. Taking that time to put forth the effort for this, that's huge. Um, thank you again for holding this. That being said, um, I am running because I want to make sure that rural Johnson County is not forgotten. It's been forgotten for way too long, and we need to take care of it. 
We have amazing people in this county, and we need to make sure that they are heard, and we need to make sure that they have a voice, and not just the people that are in the Iowa City area, not just people that are working and living in this university area. We need to make sure everyone is heard, whether that be you know, black, Latino, uh, whoever. Everyone needs to be heard because ultimately in order for us to be the best place we can be, we need to have everybody's input and everybody's viewpoints needs to be included. Um, I, like I said, I'm a mom. I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a veteran, I'm a rancher. I understand the struggles that are out there and I think we need to take that into account and make sure that everyone is heard and everybody is represented. So um, I am Jamie Bradshaw and I am just trying to do the best I can to serve my community and to serve my county and make it a place that when I say I'm from Johnson County, I can say it with a lot of pride and I want everybody else to be able to do that too. Thank you. Uh, can I just make a point of clarification? Um, there was in the closing comments by V, there were statements made with no basis to make the assumptions because none of those questions were asked at this forum. And I did not attempt to rebut your slander right. that the IRS needs right, to know so something just, about I just, my I just, I just thought that it was interesting. You guys but can sort this out. Yeah, we'll sort. You guys can sort this out after. Well, this. no, I, I, I yeah. just wanted to make sure that that the. Uh, statements that were made were right. not reflective of any of the questions asked and, and, and none of the interviews and in the thank paper you. that I've received. So. Thank you so much. Thank All you. right. Thank you to our candidates. Those of you in attendance, those watching at home, the Senior Center, and the staff of our local television station for making this video cast and live streaming possible. We would like to remind you that the views expressed in this forum are those of the candidates and that sponsorship of the forum is not endorsed of any candidate. More information about voting and the candidates can be found at vote411.org. Thank you for filling your information out. Remember to vote in the primary on or before November 8th. Everybody have a good night and thank you for coming.